Hey everyone, it's Jacob here. Welcome back to another episode of the Law of Code podcast. This is the show covering the legal side of crypto, NFTs, DAOs, and any other blockchain related innovation. Anything mentioned in this episode by Jacob Robinson or his guests is not legal advice or investment advice. All opinions are Jacob's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be relied upon for legal or investment decisions. This show is solely for information and entertainment purposes only. Jacob and his guests are not your lawyers, nor are they investment advisors. Please work directly with a lawyer or investment professional. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to share this episode with you today. My guest is Ulta Andoni, a well-known IP and fintech attorney and the deputy general counsel at Ava Labs, the company that helps launch decentralized finance applications on Avalanche. She was previously the chief legal officer at Nifty's, has lectured for Chicago Kent College of Law, and is a writer for Coindesk. Olda, welcome to the Law of Code podcast. Thank you for finally joining me. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really honored. Uh, I'm sorry that it took so much time for myself to join your podcast, but I really have much appreciation about everything that you do for our industry. And uh, you always have amazing speakers, so I'm truly glad to be here. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you. And I think this will be a really interesting conversation covering NFTs, NFT licenses, IP. It's a word that gets tossed around often, but I think we're yet to really see any major issues with respect to commercialization and rights appended to NFTs and licenses. So I think this will be a good one. But before we get there, I'd love to just hear about your Genesis block, where you were first introduced to Bitcoin and what your initial thoughts were. Uh, I, I always love this question because I think all the attorneys in, in the space, we have our own sort of uh, rabbit hole stories. But for me, uh, uh, I just started as an academic, to be honest, first, because I read about the Bitcoin paper since the very early days of the Bitcoin paper. But I think that everybody was a little bit skeptic about whether or not, I mean, this would develop into real uh, currency and how are we going to use our use case actually to be more accurate. But uh, that I've been lecturing for Chicago Ken for our international program. I'm not lecturing, uh, I mean, right now, but I've been lecturing for our international programs in in various countries in, uh, I mean, in Lviv, I've been there in Tbilisi, in Greece, Athens, Greece, uh, and also in China. Something that surprised me when I lectured in China, this was around 2017 or so, was that everybody, even my students, are talking about Bitcoin. So, and, and you could go, I mean, I was going with them in lunches and dinners, and you can hear, you could hear even older people talking about Bitcoin. So I came back in the U.S. and I was like, definitely there is a lot more to explore about Bitcoin. And that's how I started. Uh, I wanted to navigate uh, 
the space mostly on a research basis because I thought that that's also the best way to later on to serve your clients. I mean, you just cannot jump with the presumption that, hey, everything is working. And I do believe, I do believe in the technology, but definitely took me a lot of uh, research and a lot of acknowledgement and talking with other people in the space. And that's how I started being interested and I started representing clients. I think that my IP background, I've been practicing for a long time, for 20 plus years. So by, I mean, uh, my niche is intellectual property. So I think that also helped to represent a lot of clients in the blockchain and crypto space and also NFT space. And so you've seen the blockchain and crypto space evolve from essentially just Bitcoin to Ethereum to colored coins to NFTs. And when I was first getting into crypto, NFTs were one area that I found fascinating in that I've grown up collecting Jordans. I collected basketball cards and there were times where I'd be scammed. And when you bring in an NFT, now all of a sudden you can authenticate it acts as that digital receipt, that digital authenticator for certain objects. Of course, there is still that garbage in, garbage out principle where if it's not correctly done in the first place, there might be issues, but I'm getting ahead of myself. NFTs. So when did you start bringing NFTs into your legal practice and what did that look like? Uh, that's a great question. And I think that uh, everybody, I, I think that the hype about NFTs started around 2020 or so, but NFTs has have been there. I mean, I've worked with clients and I don't know if for the listeners, uh, uh, I'm sure some of them may remember the name coin blockchain, which is at the very early stages. And that was even, if I'm not mistaken, before 2014, 2000, uh, 2015, actually. I think by 2015 that uh, we had a lot, we're starting seeing a lot of more uh, NFT projects. And as, as I said, I sort of had the benefit that I do have the IP background and that's how I started representing at the very early stages some of the projects in the space and i'm glad to see how much we are uh, uh we are evolving as an industry and i'm i'm glad to see how much more connected and more understanding of the of the space uh nft users are right now and when you think of nfts and when you begin advising clients were there certain characteristics of NFTs that stood out to you? I know for myself, it was the fact that now all of a sudden you can have digital scarcity for objects beyond just fungible coins. Was it similar for you? It was exactly the same. And I think that even that concept has developed so much right now. And, uh, and in addition to exactly the grants, uh, the IP rights that are granted with the, with the NFTs. Oh, and, and that's, I'm glad you, you brought that up. You made the transition to the next question quite easy for me. And I think it's something that's spoken about so often. I think it's discussed more than it's actually used. And that is the idea of NFT licenses and IP rights typically or often following the NFT. So if a purchaser or if a holder sells it, the idea is that the new purchaser has these IP rights. And one example and one prominent example of NFTs are CryptoPunks. And they recently released a new CryptoPunks license. And you mentioned that it was probably the best drafted license you've ever seen. Because number one, it is an exclusive license. And number two, it gives full IP commercialization rights and ownership of derivative works 
to the owners. And I'd love to touch on that first point, which is an exclusive license. Why is exclusivity so important when it comes to IP rights? Absolutely. Uh, so, Jacob, I think that from the majority of the projects that I've seen in this space and even collectible NFT projects that I've seen in this space, I mean, you have these buyers that are usually just granted a very narrow uh, non-commercial license. And that that non-commercial license usually just is, includes the rights to display and, and the rights to reproduce uh, that uh, particular content that, uh, but this is only for personal use. So this exclusive license is a big shift in our industry. And it's been great to see this sort of decentralization of IP rights. And, and I mean, majority of the projects are think right now they're kind of touching base and hopefully we're going to see more projects who are going to approach the decentralization of IP rights. But I think that there are some particular parts of this license that really triggered my interest in the sense that I think that we're seeing this huge improvement when it comes to the, to the rights that are granted to the uh, NFT owners. First of all, I know that the exclusive right is super exclusive, exclusive license is super important, but in my opinion, the derivative works right is super important. Under this license, the owners get ownership of any copyright and also other IP derivative works that are going to develop under crypto, crypto banks, right? So they're having the owners are going to have this, uh, liability to build a stronger brand, right? I mean, now they can do everything if they have even the right to derivative works. Uh, I think that there is a little bit of confusion, in my opinion, and I should have stated this before when we started, that this is not legal advice and I do not represent the views of Avalads. Uh, everything that I'm stating here are completely my personal views. But I think that for this particular license, uh, the owners have to uh, uh, be very careful in the way how they're going to use their derivative rights. From my understanding and from my reading of the license, it seems that they're not going to be able to use particular features of the crypto funds, right? The glasses and this and the hats and I don't know, different uh, features and different colors. I think that they have to use the whole crypto fund. And also something else that goes to the right of the users to use the trademark, uh, Yuga Labs trademarks. Uh, I think, I I'm just curious if Yuga Labs is going to even allow them to use the crypto fund, which is a trademark under Yuga Labs. So let's say they were going to do some marketing about that particular crypto fund, uh, whether or not they're gonna be allowed to use CryptoPunk, uh, I don't know, 2078, just an example. So there are a lot of uh, unknowns, but I think that, again, the derivative and also the sub-license part uh, or section of this license is something that really triggered my interest. There is a description about how you can use uh, the, I think it's section 12, if I'm not mistaken, how you can use the CryptoPunk, not in a way, I mean, for hate speech, et cetera, et cetera. And I would be curious to see how that is going to be enforced by Yuga Labs. Uh, I mean, in, in, in real practice, that is one of those unknowns that we still do not know, especially from a legal perspective. 
it feels like there are so many of those unknowns in the legal space, particularly in crypto, where we haven't seen like a contract is really can be valid until it's challenged. And that's when you could run into issues. And so just to to double click on that idea of an exclusive license for those of us who aren't IP attorneys, does that mean that Larva Labs themselves can't market using your punk? Uh, no, that doesn't mean that they cannot market using. I mean, but you uh, definitely have to give them permission to use your punk for particular marketing purposes. I see. In my okay. opinion, again. Right, right, of course. And and something else, Jacob, I think that it's when it comes to the litigation part, I mean, I'm just, I was just thinking more because we don't even know how this is going to play with the right. version one crypto funds, right? Not usually, but under copyright law, the owners of the right under this exclusive licenses, they do have standing to bring a copyright infringement suit. Now, I'm not saying that I predict that, but again, that is something that I would be curious to see. I think that, uh, I mean, uh, this license is particularly specific uh, and, and states that uh, to the extent applicable uh, that the crypto punks owners agree, any claims should be based upon the uh, unauthorized use of the crypto punk art. And then any of this claim shall be based uh, also uh, on the ground that the other crypto punk art is substantially similar uh, to your crypto punk art. So a lot to, to digest there, but hopefully we're not going to have another war between uh, version one, v, V1 and V2 crypto punks, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it will be interesting to see how this is going to develop later. So one one thing you mentioned was the idea of a license being revocable. And I think it's an important thing to consider in the case of NFTs in particular, where most people think what happens on chain is law, code is law, etc., if there's hate speech, if there's other certain factors, and I believe it's in their sole discretion, Larva Labs can revoke this license. What does that look like? Uh, that's exactly what I was stating before. I mean, uh, this is the biggest question right now because I have no idea how they're going to implement that section. But also it's interesting to see that they are also keeping uh, the right to uh, to do modifications. I mean, uh, unilateral modifications to the license, which usually I would not recommend that. And I don't think that it's going to be very beneficial, to be honest. And I do not know how it's going to impact uh, uh, the owners. Usually the courts, uh, also the courts are super... Um, they go a little bit deeper actually into these cases when the licensor keeps the right to uh, unilaterally modify the whole uh, uh, license terms. It's such an interesting area where someone could buy the punk based on this idea of commercial license and sort of ownership in quotes, and that can be revoked really at any time. And, and a lot of people were excited about the idea of full IP commercial rights being given to owners of CryptoPunks. For those who don't know what that means when they hear full IP commercial rights, what does that consist of? I think that first, uh, and especially for the listeners of this podcast, I think it would be important to understand how these commercial rights have 
developed, right? Because the uh, Copyright uh, Act that we have right now, it's not the very first Copyright Act, but it's important to remember that the vast majority of the people that are buying these NFTs, they are, in my opinion, they're not used to usually have or conduct this due diligence on their purchases, right? Or especially on the marketplaces and and uh, what NFTs they're buying, what rights are getting. So what's important to understand here is that commercial rights are exactly how they uh, pretty much affect the way that you use your NFT, right? Because just owning, if you just have this particular token, uh, definitely that doesn't give you absolute rights or freedom over the ways how you are going to use that. That's why, uh, I mean, when the commercial rights are given, every project has to be very careful even how they're going to, poli uh, to police the protection of that IP, right? I'm not saying that by giving commercial rights, probably sometimes it may dilute like the potential brand in 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 some cases may even enforce the uh, the brand but i have seen both sides of the story so uh when you give commercial rights at the same time you really have or the project have really have to do a good job on the way how they patrol the brand and how they protect their marks and again how the users or how the benefit the owners of these commercial rights owners of crypto getting these commercial rights are going to use them in in real life and for certain projects does that make sense it does and so i've seen in the yuga labs ip commercial grant license when it applied to the board ape yacht club there was i believe a hundred thousand dollar limit dollar yeah and now there is no limit there but that was like with their first license now with the new license there is no limit and when there is a limit, is that enforced almost on the honor system where you have a right to report how much you made over 100000 Uh This depends on how the project structure it. I would be curious to know. I mean, I do not work for them, but I would be curious to know how they structure it. I mean, usually uh, you request this certain reports from, I mean, the users, the owners of the NFT. But at the same time, my main question has been, how do you even double check that? Like what kind of due diligence do this, uh, uh, projects have to undertake, right? I think that again, this goes back not only as an attorney, I mean, checking the, the terms uh, of service and making sure that you really understand the terms of the service for every single project, even for those projects that really give you commercial rights. Uh, it's super important. I mean, we have some different approaches to this commercial rights uh, or commercial rights levels, I have to say, from different NFT projects. That's why I think it's super important to understand uh, where your starting point is and exactly what they're granting you. Uh, uh, something else is uh, that I would like to add is that as an IP attorney, I'm very excited to see that, uh, I mean, this IP rights are, 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 are granted. But at the same time, this IP rights usually come with a lot of underlying legal questions, right? And uh, it, when, let's say when you purchase the NFT, the smart contract is going to uh, sort of address uh, of the NFT that you're owning, but 
and sometimes the license agreement for that NFT depends on some other terms. So that's why, again, to emphasize, read those terms and conditions, and sometimes some projects do a better job than others to define those terms and conditions more clearly. It is a balancing act, isn't it, of weighing the, the pros and cons and going too in detail, but not in detail to the point where it's not legible to potential purchasers. And so when it comes to IP commercialization rights and full rights, what why do more why don't all projects grant these rights? What's what are potential downsides that, that you may have seen? Uh, I think that a lot of projects, I mean, now they're granting some, uh, like Yuga Labs. Uh, that's why this is a big deal. I mean, I do not think that every project thinks about decentralization of IP, right? right. I mean, projects, they, they still concentrate mostly on keeping majority of the IP rights for their own. And I still see the same uh, sort of culture, so to speak. But I think that now that the creators and the users are understanding better the terms that they have to negotiate with particular projects, now we're seeing this movement. I mean, usually it is in the benefit of the NFT owner, of course, to get the commercial rights, but it's not so much uh, in, 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 uh, in the interest of the projects, right? But something that we can say about this uh, latest uh, license for CryptoPunks is that I think my understanding when Yuga Labs, I mean, decided to, to proceed with this move uh, with CryptoPunks, I think they definitely wanted to sort of uh, uh, creates a sort of a re revolution for, for, for the brand, if that makes sense. So now I think that they are sort of following up on that goal to be able to build a strong brand. And the way how you bring, you, you build a strong brand is exactly by granting this, uh, commercial rights, but you have also to be sure to, to, to know how to patrol the rights that you're giving away. Right. And I think one thing that came to mind to me when you talk about decentralizing IP is that potential loss of brand and the dilution of the brand where, right, instead of one central message, now you could have multiple messages, different punks, for example, standing for different things or portraying the brand in a, a certain way. So I think that will be interesting to, to see how it plays out. I think that the other thing, uh, since you, you just mentioned this, Jacob, I think that another sort of argument that CryptoPunks are, Yuga Labs actually is, is bringing up is that uh, also the utility uh, based on this license, utility of CryptoPunks is based on uh, on the community. So I, I, I feel like I'm seeing a lot, of, uh, a lot more of commingling of the two terms, utility and community. I don't fully agree with this because I think the community part should not be always sort of translated into the utility utility part that the project brings brings in or or brings on for for the users. My point is that again, this depends on what the the, the final goal of Yuga Labs, and I'm sure they have like sort of. Uh, uh, hopefully, it's not one of those roadmaps that I do not like for NFT projects, but I hope 
hope they have some goals. I mean, with uh, with um, this uh, granting this uh, license, exclusive license. Still, it's a great step. It's a great first step for the industry. But uh, I mean, a lot of legal ramification are going to follow uh, because of that. And when NFT projects think about granting the license, have you noticed just based on your experience there to be a best practice in terms of timing where you've seen there's nouns, for example, that went the CCO route and released that right away. You have CryptoPunks, which have been around for a few years before releasing full commercial rights. There's Board Apes, which were up to 100,000. Where do you think, like, if you were to advise a project or if just if you were to launch your own project, where is there a happy medium somewhere there? Or what are some factors that go into the decision making when deciding what NFT licenses to grant? Absolutely. I think that that is more of a, a business strategic decision. I mean, as an IP attorney, I have aimed at least for the licenses that I have drafted for my clients to be super clear. I think the goal should not be only on what kind of IP rights you're granting, but at least to make those terms clear. I mean, there's some projects out there that do not, I mean, they really have some very vague terms. And I think that that is what creates the confusion between uh, the buyers of NFTs and creators of NFTs, right? So I would better prefer to have a project that is very clear since day one about what rights they're projecting to give away with, uh, I mean, with uh, that particular, those particular NFTs, uh, uh, and uh, rather than having a project that is not clear or truly, uh, I mean, give some uh, terms that none of the parties can understand very well, because that is going to bring a lot of more risks, and uh, especially from a litigation, IP litigation perspective. And I advised a few NFT projects earlier in the year, and it surprised me at how many potential legal issues there were to flag, whether it was IP, often exactly. securities, implications, legal entity liability, things like that, fraud even sometimes as well. What are the, do you have a checklist you go through or for those lawyers who might not be in the IP space, but have NFT clients and want to make sure they're issue spotting correctly, what would you advise them if you had to give a lecture on issue spotting for NFT projects? What would be in the syllabus? That's that's a great question. Uh, so first of all, uh, I mean, I, I think that it would be beneficial for the uh, attorneys who are advising this project. First of all, for them to understand exactly what the project is trying to offer, because sometimes I've seen that part as well, where you have clients that are shifting from one project to the other, just because, uh, I mean, you don't have to suit the needs of the clients all the time, but at least try to understand exactly what is the final goal for that particular project. Some projects, they like to work with big brands, right? Some projects like to, to work with particular artists and some projects are trying to have a completely different platform. So first understand the project and the checklist is super important, but the checklist has to be including not only IP related 
uh, uh, issues or IP related topics, in my opinion, but you have to consider also some risk based approach for that particular uh, platform and how you're going to address many other legal questions that right now NFTs, uh, NFT industry is, is, is facing off. There are there are so many big legal questions and we'll probably need a, another podcast for this to address all the legal questions. I, I think so as well. Um, and I think one analogy I like to use when advising is the idea that you should bring a lawyer in early because you want to plug any holes that might be on the boat before you set sail because it's a lot more difficult once you've left the harbor. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen creators make when it comes to IP rights and NFT licenses? Are there like one or two mistakes that really stand out? Yeah, the biggest mistake that I have seen, to be honest, is creators just concentrating on on their monetary benefits, some of them. So I say that because I've had the pleasure and I respect so many creators in the space, but I've had the pleasure to talk to so many. And I I was just talking about this in my other podcast yesterday, because uh, while uh, while attending NFT NYC and I've been attending for three or four more years right now but i'm just so glad to see a, a sort of a big shift in 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 the uh in the understanding uh especially when it comes to protection of ip rights from creator base because previously i was talking to creators and it seems like everybody not everybody i'm not generalizing here i i should not generalize here but i think that they were mostly concentrating on you know let me just mint this nft sell this nft and and not many were concentrating on the potential sort of uh, uh ip not only ip infringement but uh, also ip protection first of all but i think that now uh, especially creators are way more educated and hopefully we're going to see stronger projects where not only that they protect creators, but also for, for creators to pick and choose the right projects that serves them, if that makes sense. I think so as well. And it, judging from your response there, it seems like we're heading in the right direction in terms of progress of the NFT space. Mm-hmm. One project that was released and, and was in the news was this Rider Rips versus Yuga Labs. And Yuga Labs, for those who aren't familiar, created the Board Ape Yacht Club. They sued Rider Rips on June 24th, alleging trademark infringement, false advertising, unfair competition, and cyber squatting with his NFT collection, RR slash BAYC, which is essentially a bit of a ripoff to Board Ape Yacht Club. You, you said that derivative rights have always been a hot topic for NFTs. Um, but before we get into it, that I guess, what do you think about this case? Is this a textbook, textbook trademark infringement case? Uh, so I I like the fact that you you saw that tweet that I posted, and honestly, uh, that tweet was to to highlight again the importance uh, of 
this particular lawsuit for the NFT industry. So I want to emphasize that again, there is a lot of misconfusion or confusion actually out there about this uh, particular lawsuit. I mentioned the hot link uh, and how the hot, I mean, making the claim between hot linking and, and copyright is a very hard claim to make because first, I think that a lot of people misunderstood that this is just a simple copyright case. It, copyright infringement actually lawsuit but it's not i mean you have to read this lawsuit very carefully i mean in uh one uh i i was referring to the hot linking part i mean if, if since the hot link actually directs to uh, to another file, which is not the actual copy of the work. That's why the copyright infringement claim is going to be super hard, I mean, to make. But uh, in, in this particular case, if you read that part, uh, very carefully, here we're dealing, I think, with a trademark infringement, not a copyright infringement. But at the same time, this is not a case book from those trademark infringement cases that I have seen or I have worked with, because I mean, uh, if you read the claims, you see that uh, Ryder Rips, he does have some potential defenses here. Again, this is not legal advice for the listeners, but uh, pretty much when, I mean, he had people agree to a particular disclaimer, right? I do not remember exactly the disclaimer that he has included uh, 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 when, I mean, the NF for the board apes, but he, I think in my opinion, he was pretty much engaged more in a commentary about the Bay, uh, the BAYC Bayak, Am I pronouncing that correctly? Project, and I think that he wanted to bring some attention, mostly to the white supremacy claims that were included there, right? So, again, I think that probably a a first amendment. I think here probably we're dealing more with the first amendment uh, uh, parody defense as well but i do not see this as a defamation because i think i read that some lawyers think that this is also defamation lawsuit i do not think that this is a defamate defamation lawsuit but it's a very important case for our industry and we'll see how it's going to play out if i'm not mistaken i think you filed for motion to dismiss uh uh last week or two weeks ago and i do not think mm -hmm. that that was granted uh so definitely more to come on that but it's not a copyright infringement it's uh, this is a trademark infringement that potentially may turn uh around into first uh first amendment uh speech or parody defense that may be used here but again, not legal advice because I, I feel like I'm talking with a lot of certainty, but that's just my opinion. And right. that's why I think that this is a very important case for our industry. And so when, when you say that this is a copyright case and not a trademark case. It is a why, trademark case. Or sorry, no, it is a trademark and not copyright. Why, yeah. why is that the case? I mean, because that's our, the, the, those are exactly the main claims that he's stating there. Yep. So okay. this is, uh, again, we have to concentrate on the uh, trademark part, I think. I mean, because right. a lot are confusing between trademark and copyright. But I think is a trademark infringement case. And so after this case going forward, where do you see the, do you see there being 
updated regulation in the NFT space that could come potentially after this case or subs or at the same time? Yeah. Where, where do you see the NFT space going? Uh, I, I, Jacob, to be honest, I do not think we're going to see any sort of regulation anytime soon with NFTs. I think probably something that we can see is considering the latest claims about, uh, uh, I mean, money laundering with many NFTs. I think uh, probably that's where our regulators are going to concentrate a lot more. Uh, but still, even if you can see, even from European regulators, I think European regulators actually are staying, are trying to stay way uh, far from the NFTs and even to include uh, the NFT term in certain uh, legislation. So it'd be interesting to see if they're going to be a little bit more open-minded to better understand the NFTs and, and I mean, how to cover them via regulation. But I do not predict any sort of regulation anytime soon, except that probably they're going to go uh, after a lot of money laundering. We already have seen uh, some, I mean, uh, the case against uh, Chastain, if I'm pronouncing his uh uh, last name correctly, and I mean other uh, uh, claims uh, against OpenSea as well. One thing insider I wanted to touch trading. on insider trading. That's it exactly. Yeah. Um, so one one thing I wanted to touch on was Owl Explains, and this is an initiative that you are part of, and the legal team at Avalabs is running to serve the crypto industry through education. Could you explain what this is and what you've learned since starting it? I'm just so happy you're asking this question because I really want to bring a lot of attention. This is one of those campaigns that is very dear to me and to my team. So for the listeners, we created this and we created this as part of, uh, I mean, we work with other policy advisors, but it was mostly because of the need that we see in the space. I mean, I think that this discussion around blockchain and around Web3 has been uh, sort of driven mostly by hype, right? That's why we, uh, I, that is sort of one of the uh, slogans that we use for our I'll explain because we have like all this sort of uh, unrealistic expectations for the development of the technology. And then you have the volatility of crypto that pretty much has concerned a lot of our policymakers, a lot of our regulators and a lot of uh, stakeholders and users of crypto. Right. So uh, with this account or with this campaign or trying to address that definitely blockchain and also Web3 offers a new infrastructure for the Internet. And we have uh, definitely offers uh, far reaching benefits as well. And we do have a good agenda that I would like to disclose with you today. We're planning to host uh, regular Twitter spaces. We're probably going to bring a lot of uh, also uh, regulators from Europe as well and a lot of other policy folks to talk, to discuss many, I mean, many topics uh, about uh, our sector and hi highlight the good use cases of the industry and also sort of bust some, uh, uh, I mean, some not uh, some uh, uh, sort of bad talking about, especially coming from the regulators or uh, uh, about our industry. So uh, I think that we need to do a lot more with the education. We have to concentrate a lot more on uh, uh, not only the education part for 
uh, but less hype, more hoot, as uh, we talk about in our campaign. Uh, we do not plan to take ourselves too seriously with the campaign, but we love, meaning that, I mean, we do not want to create like uh, crazy debates, but when it's time to address, like we just tweeted a little bit about the tornado cash the other day. So uh, I think that the agenda uh, is uh, super interesting and definitely you're going to see a lot of more key concepts of the blockchain technology that are going to be explained, which I think is going to be super beneficial for those who are going to follow us. So please follow us and our, I'll explain. It's both on Twitter and it's on LinkedIn as well. And the Twitter account is at owl explains with an s at the end correct yep okay perfect so we'll link those in the show notes as well ulta thank you for for joining me today i wanted to just ask you one last question and this will be two questions in one so you can choose one or the other or you can answer both what habits have helped you cultivate a successful career or and or what advice were you given early in your career that has shaped who you have become uh, I love I love this question. I mean, even as a professor, and I have given to a lot of my students a lot of advice, even to my low interns uh, uh, advice. And I love to help people in the space. So for you who are uh, listening uh, this podcast, please reach out anytime. I mean, I think that even once I got started in this industry, it was mostly a lot of community with other attorneys like this is not an easy industry or easy space to be in uh, there are so many uh question marks especially when it comes to regulation and even i mean like little questions that you or small questions that you get from your clients it 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 always puts you in in uh, in a thinking mode i mean you just cannot find the super clear answers that's why i think you really have to have a lot of dedication you really have to have a lot of passion these bear markets uh, they go i mean they're gonna come and go and this is not my very first uh, bear market i think probably this is my third or fourth my point is that this is not the point for us to get or to be discouraged. We are here because we believe, I believe in this technology. I believe in the NFTs. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 they're very dear to, uh, to my heart. And I think that I, we're going to see a lot of more successful projects coming up. And I do have a good feeling about how much is, has been built, being built in the crypto space, even during this bear market. So my advice, have a lot of passion. It is not easy. If you do not have that sort of dedication, maybe crypto industry is not the right for you. At the same time, for I have always emphasized this for my low students and for younger associates in this space, please do not put all your eggs in a basket. Do not concentrate only in the crypto industry. I think you really have to get a good practice in working for law firms and maybe later on you can join crypto projects, but do not put everything for, uh, I mean, to concentrate on the crypto industry because it's much more beneficial to have that large knowledge. I mean, for myself, I think that the IP and also antitrust law, because I lecture antitrust law, has, have, they both have been uh, super important areas that have helped me uh, uh, succeed in, in, in my profession. 
You can't be a great crypto lawyer without being a great lawyer. And Ulta, thank you so much for joining me today. I think that's a fantastic answer. Really enjoyed this conversation. I think we have so many gems on IP, the Rider Rips case, and, and what the future could look like for NFTs. So thank you so much for joining me. People can find you on Twitter at, at Andoni Ulta. And that was Ulta Andoni taken? Is that why you flipped it? I think so. <laughs> okay, so we'll link that all in the show notes. But Ulta, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah.